Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, certified financial educator and investment advisor, Regis Bingham, and the visionary behind Makita Filmworks, Dana Bingham Gonila. Hey, what you drink? Okay, guys, we, we're, we're doing this, and I'm going to go all the way back. You guys have heard from some of my mentors. Uh, you've heard from some of the first managers I've ever had and, and really who have carved my definition of leadership. You, you've heard from some of the people who I have admired uh, you heard from people who I went to high school with. <laughs> I'm going to share with you two people who have known me for longer than folks I went to high school with. Uh, not only am I going to have my brother on this podcast episode, I'm also going to have my sister on this podcast episode. I don't know that I've ever had both in the same place at the same time. So with that, you guys get ready. I'm gonna bring in Mr. Regis Bingham and Mrs. Dana Bingham Gonilo. Guys, welcome to Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. <laughs> Yay! Happy to be here. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I'm I, I'm actually kind of nervous because I don't know how this is gonna turn out because when we get together, it can it could either go really, really right or really, really left. And especially when, when drinks are involved. So um I'm just gonna go ahead and bring you guys in and just share with my audience the folks that I grew up with the foundation of why I think the way that I do. And, and I just really want to show how amazing my, my siblings are. So that's really what this is about. I'm bragging here. So uh, let's get into some questions. But the first question, I'm going to start, I'm going to start with, with uh, the baby sister with this very, very important question, 
because I mean, you've done a lot of things, right? You, you know, I think the first in the family to get a master's degree. So this is no small, small change here. What you drinking? Oh, good question. I normally drink a tequila and soda, but my resident uh, bartender is not available. So I'm drinking Coquito because my neighbor gifted me a jar of Coquito. So I am drinking Coquito. And I don't know how strong it's going to be by the end of the hour. I, you know, I don't even know what it is. So I'm just impressed that we got someone drinking Coquito <laughs> on Whiskey Jazz and Leadership. Okay. All right. So uh, now I'm going to go from my baby sister to my baby brother, Reverend Good Dr. Regis Bingham. So what you drinking? What am I drinking? Well, I could have gone to any number of places. Typically, I like to go with my Deserana. But seeing how I was kind of in a rush after after dinner, I had to go with another brown beverage, my all favorite apple juice. Apple juice. Filtered or unfiltered? Oh, unfiltered. Un oh, okay, all right. Because, I mean, you know, one of our mutual acquaintances, Mr. Gerald DeBose, came on drinking apple juice and gave us like the whole apple juice uh, ology. <laughs> So we got another apple juice drinker. Okay, so so folks know that I, I take some time and some care into trying to determine what to drink based upon the guests that I'm gonna have. And so, you know, I actually spent some time trying to figure this out because I could have gone for my all-time favorites. Uh, I could have gone for for my recent favorites, but I decided to go with a whiskey that I used to be able to get pretty easily. As a matter of fact, when I first fell in love with it, I bought like two or three bottles and just had inventory and was drinking it, drinking it. And then when I finally got down to my last bottle, I went back to the store to get more and it was gone. It, it, it wasn't available. And so I said, well, I'm just gonna wait for it to come back. And it never came back. And then I realized this is a one time deal. When it's gone, it's gone, unless you want to pay. And I literally saw this online where I could buy a bottle of this for $1,400. And trust me, I did not spend $1,400 on this when I bought it. But I'm gonna go with Blood Oath, pack number one. And Blood Oath pack number one is my all-time favorite. It's actually underproof for what I typically drink. So it's only 98.6. I know a lot of people are thinking, only? <laughs> but yeah, it's 98.6. But you can't find it anymore. If you find Blood Oath, they're up to like pack six or pack seven. And when I finally did some research, come to find out that this was a boutique blend that the guy was just making. He would just get some people together, have them inspire his batch for each of the pack. And once he was done with pack one, he would move on to pack two with some different people. So very literally, when this is gone, <laughs> I have nothing but memory. So let's jump into this. I'm going to pop this open. Mm -hmm. 
for just a little bit. I'm going to nurse this because, like I said, only for family. That's the only reason I'm pouring this is for family. And while I nurse this, I'm going to ask you guys to just share a little bit about your background, just so folks can know the kind of people that I hang out with when I go home for reunions, when we talk on the phone, this is my everyday reinforcement. So let's go ladies first. So Mrs. Bingham Gonilo. Let's see, where do I even start? Well, I am a filmmaker, I'm a producer. I am a video editor. Um, I have launched my own media production company, Makeda Filmworks. I have uh, a career that I've spent over 14 years as a programming, television program planner and strategist. Um, I worked at Viacom, CBS, um, Nickelodeon, Paramount Network, and was just watching TV all day and, and doing great things with that. But my passion was filmmaking and documentary. Um, so I went back to my roots. I studied film production at Howard University. I went on to get my master's at New York Institute of Technology. Um, I interned at 40 Acres and a Mule under Spike Lee. Um, I've worked on PBS documentaries. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was time. I, I think the pandemic kind of, you know, kind of shifted what I was thinking about, what I needed to be doing with my purpose and passion. I've always been a storyteller. Um, I think you, you two know, I always ask that one question after watching a, a movie, is it, is it based on a true story? <laughs> so <laughs> I um, just wanted to get back to my roots and, and start telling meaningful stories and and uh, creating content and music videos and short documentaries. And yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. <laughs> well, I, I am positive that we're gonna get into this, but I gotta, I gotta go back to uh, some of the comments that uh, mom and dad used to say when you were a young kid watching TV all the time. Girl, you can't, you're not gonna be, you're not gonna make anything of yourself watching TV all the time. Right, and I proved them wrong. Little did they know. <laughs> I basically, when I when I started working at Teen Nick, which is um, part of Nickelodeon, how I explained to them what I was doing, I'm like, I, I just watch TV. I watch TV all day. I decide what episodes go on at what time. And they're like, oh, okay, that, there's someone who actually does that. And I was basically, you know, the walking inventory of every single thing that ever aired. And I would watch it beforehand. So Degrassi, I watched it from beginning to end, iCarly, all of those things. So I was just, I was revisiting being a teenage Teenager who watched TV all day. That was what I did. <laughs> mm -mm. All right. Well, let, let me bring let me bring in your other brother. So uh, other brother, good Reverend Dr. Regis Bingham, share a little bit about your background, because a lot of people who have heard me talk about things will, will remember that I have often said that that my brother is kind of obnoxious in that 
anytime he's curious about something, he gets certified and he gets a degree in that thing. He doesn't just read a book like normal people. He's got to like go get certified. So, so talk a little bit about your background and let's get into this conversation. Oh, well, I'm happy to be part of this. And I went to Bucknell, got my double major in psychology and sociology. I spent a great majority of my uh, career in counseling and mental health counseling at that. Uh, I ended up teaming up with my baby sister at Howard while she was there undergrad. I was getting my, my master's degree in social psychology and ended up getting certifications in as an NLP practitioner uh, and clinical hypnosis and uh, just really spent a lot of time in mental health counseling. Then as I was just kind of growing and maturing and trying to make sure that my finances were where they needed to be, uh, I wasn't really finding much help out there. So I had to go on my own search and study. And so I ended up getting uh, licensed as a financial advisor. And where I really got a passion for was teaching people, uh, not just as, a, as an advisor, but actually teaching people about money and finances. And so I recently got my national certification as a financial educator. So that is, is pretty much it. I'm a, a husband, father, and, and that takes up a great majority of my, my, my time in my life. Well, uh, again, I, I'm just so excited to have both of you guys here uh, on this podcast episode. And, you know, I've been asking a lot of people who have come on to help me articulate the connection between whiskey, jazz, and leadership. Because to me, it's it's hard to explain because it just makes so much sense to me, the connection between the three. But for me, whiskey is about doing what you love with the people you love to do it with, regardless of who else might enjoy it. Jazz is about getting from point A to point B when you don't necessarily have sheet music for everything. You still have to figure out how to get there and you have to get there on time. You have to get there in key, that kind of thing. And leadership, many people say, Galen, you're, you're, you're kind of annoying because we can't have a 15 minute conversation with you without you bringing in some sort of leadership principle, idea, concept. Uh, but for me, Nobody eats unless somebody kills something. And and usually that requires someone to step up and say, I'm going to shoot this piece of food. or I'm going to chop down this plant. I'm going to kill something to make sure that everyone eats. So that's the way everything kind of connects for me. I'd love to just hear from you guys. Help me explain. And I'm not going to call on you. I'm just going to let you guys get in. Let's do this like, like we do uh, on one of our weekly calls because we talk once a week. And uh, I just wanted you guys jump in. Do this popcorn style. Help me explain this whiskey, jazz, and leadership connection. Well, I'm looking at it as it, it's all about doing what you love. You can't lead unless you love doing it. 
if you're doing something out of dread, you're not going to be a very effective leader. Jazz is just about that. It's about that feeling. And a lot of times jazz things don't make sense. If you put it on paper, why would it make sense that you would have two pianists playing two totally different things at the same time at two different tempos? Those things don't make sense. And being a leader, you sometimes you, you're going to have to do things that don't make sense to other people. But that's what leadership is all about. You, you, you're not following a, a blueprint, but you are actually leading the way. And uh, whiskey, again, you got to love it. All right. Let me hear from the creative of the bunch. Help me connect this stuff that some people say doesn't make sense. And I, I know you're not a whiskey girl. You're kind of a tequila girl. You're, you're on the clear yeah. liquor side. Yeah. I mean, you know, I partake in a brown liquor every now and then. <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have an interesting take about leadership because I feel like in order to be a great leader, you always have to have great people surrounding you, right? You need to have people who are experts in whatever they do to help, you know, create your vision, support whatever your politics are, whatever. And that's what I think of jazz. I think of all the instruments that are coming together, helping create this idea that whoever, you know, is deciding, leading the way in the song. And, you know, the process of creating whiskey and bourbon is, is not just, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, like with, with wine, it comes from grapes and that's it. It's a process. And it's all these things that come together and they have to work together. And every, every stage of making bourbon and whiskey, there, there's an expert that's doing its job to lead the way. So I feel like, you know, to be a great leader is to have a great team. And it all depends on how you, you manage that team and you work with that team will determine your leadership style and how you are as a leader. So that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. I think, I think that works. I think that works. What she said. (laughs) (laughs) What she said. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that you brought up, Dana, that I don't know, a couple of my guests have talked about this, but I don't know that it can be overemphasized is that, really, really great leaders, they're not afraid to surround themselves with people who are smarter than they might be in a particular area. And I I see a lot of managers that get annoyed, they get concerned, they get frustrated if they sense that, that you are smarter than they are in a particular area, but great leaders look for that. So, and you, and you just brought that concept in. So I'd love both of you guys to just talk about the courage that it takes to seek out people who might know more than you in a particular area in order to make, help you make a decision when you're leading. 
interesting enough, when I was at Viacom, I had direct reports. I also worked on a team. And um, prior to that, being an you know intern or PA on sets, I had many different supervisors, many cooks in the kitchen telling you what to do. And I remember I had this one internship where I never learned anything. The director just would send me to get pens, <laughs> send me to get coffee, and I would never learn anything. And, and I made up my mind that if ever I had interns or I had a direct report, that I was going to empower them, empower them to, to do and make, make decisions. And because that's how you learn. So when I became a manager and had direct reports and a team, I would always step back in and ask questions. And what do you think? Or this is what I'm thinking, but I would like to have your input. No one has all the answers, right? <laughs> and I think, I think a great leader has to recognize that they don't have the answer <laughs> and never be afraid of that. You know, you have that question of where you're strong, what are what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? I I know what my weaknesses are and I always seek those people and like, look, you you understand the numbers better than I do. Can you can you explain this to me like I'm a seven year old? <laughs> you know, and that's what makes you better because you're like, I'm constantly wanting to learn. And someone may be stronger in something and vice versa, you know. So that's how I, how I see it. Well, what's your take on that, Regis? Well, I go back to what dad used to say all the time, that it's not a matter of, I mean, having all the answers. It's being able to go get it. And do you know where to go to get the answer? And so if you surround yourself with smarter people, it becomes easier to get to the answer that you're you're trying to figure out when you're problem solving. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time just, I have no problem in being able to say, hey, I don't know, but give me a couple minutes and I can go find out. I'll go find somebody who will have the answer. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you, that you brought up is, you know, just advice that, that we've received growing up. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what it was like growing up in our house. Now, you know, there's there's four years difference between me and Regis. Uh, there's eight years difference between uh, me and Dana. Is it eight years? We got no. 12 years. We got 12 years. We got 12 years between us. But the one thing that I have heard a lot whenever I would talk about, you know, you know things that my parents taught me or you know, experiences that I had, people ha would frequently say, man, that's not real. There's no way that's real. That doesn't seem real. But that was the experience that I was just relaying. And I could not understand how when those images were represented, you know, in the 80s or in the 90s, the Cosby show, and there's like, oh, well, that's not realistic. And I kept thinking, wow, that's that's pretty reflective of of my experience. So talk about what were some things? Is that just me or did you guys have you guys received some of those comments as well? Absolutely. All the time. <laughs> I was related 
Theo pretty good. And all the I trouble was just he about got to say. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Dana, didn't we have an episode very similar to when uh, Rudy got hurt from being kicked off the wall and, and you got hurt from being, you know, jumping off the couch and <laughs> and you got in trouble. And I got in trouble. <laughs> I think for me, the reality check that my household was different from other households was when I went to Howard. And that's when I realized that, you know, Black people have different upbringings. And I feel like um, many thought, oh, you, you just live in this alternate universe but I think it's it is possible to have a life <laughs> that's it's mirroring the Cosby show and um you know I feel like a lot of people need to understand or be open to the idea that somewhere in this world there are people who <laughs> lived like the Cosby show as much as people live like good times yeah because a lot of things that I hear, you know, people who have experienced in their childhood. I'm like, oh, we didn't have that issue. We actually like each other. <laughs> Fancy that. Fancy that. I actually like my mom and dad. <laughs> and that is really hard for me and to grasp the concept when you hear of family conflict. For me, I have a hard time understanding that because I'm like, there's going to be enough just dealing with life on uh, life terms. When you come home with your family, you should at least be able to support each other and, yeah. and love each other. But I think that that speaks to the leadership that mom and dad uh, presented for us. They would say it all the time, even though the world may say something differently, here's what we're going to do. And that's the leadership that they have instilled in us. And I find myself oftentimes reflecting on that when I'm trying to make decisions as a parent myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one, one of the seminal experiences that I've had that really drove home the difference between what we've experienced and what others uh, experience. I can't remember when this was, but I was watching a documentary on television. It wasn't a documentary, it was a show. It was, I think Brian Gumbel was, was the host or the moderator. And they were talking about men who are being fathers and they didn't have fathers at home growing up, but yet they were being fathers. And it was just so fascinating to me because it was just so foreign from my experience and I, I walked away thinking, oh my God, it is hard enough being a father, but to be a father when you don't have a point of reference, I don't know how you do it, right? My hat is off to the men that were on that show because they were being fathers and they didn't have a, a point of reference. And so I went to the barbershop as most African-American men do. And so I said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Did you guys see this show? You know, I just don't understand how, how, these, how these guys were able to be fathers when they didn't have a father at home when they were growing up. That's gotta be challenging. And one of the guys said to me, 
you mean you had a father in your home when you were growing up? I said, yeah, I had a father in my home growing up. And he said, well, he was there every day? Yeah, he was there every day. You know, he was there and I had dinner, you know, we had dinner together as a family, my father, my mother. And the other guy said, you mean your mother was there too? And it just really dawned on me that the model that we have is not as common as American culture would suggest that it it is. And that I didn't really understand that to be special until that situation. And you know, not to say that mom and dad did everything perfect, that I'm gonna that I copy and emulate everything that they did. But I at least got something to reference against. I at least got to say, okay, they did this. It worked out. I'm going to try to do that. Or they did this. It didn't work out. I still don't know what to do, but I know I'm not going to do that. So. But, but on, top, on top of that, it is not even something that's pathological for Black people. Because when I was doing mental health counseling, that's across the board. You know, there are a lot of issues that are going on in black homes, white homes, Asian homes, uh, across the board in which families are not staying together, not sticking together. And I think that it does a grave injustice for everyone to try to make it seem like it's a pathological issue just isolated towards black folks. I I totally agree with that. And probably even, probably, I think to your point, and then Dana, I'll bring you in, but even to your point, Regis, I, I think that it's probably more prevalent <laughs> in the white community than you would let on. But in this American ideology, in America, you still have this Leave it to Beaver, June Cleaver, Ward, uh, where, and Dana, I know I'm talking your language, right? Television references. Yeah. But but that's that has been the image of the American family. And that's just not, it doesn't seem to be the American family anymore. It just didn't dawn on me that our living, that June Cleaver ex existence was something other than what everyone w was experiencing. I was just gonna add, um, and it's a get great to piggyback off your whole television, um, what you've picked up television references, um, because I remember being at Howard in, in a class, I, I can't remember if it was like what class it was, but we had a, a big debate about, you know, the images of black people on television and if it's realistic. And my argument was, well, my life was like the Cosby show. That does negate that, you know, there are families that live like good times. I, my issue is that it's always an extreme. You have either extreme poor of Black people that's shown on TV or extremely rich of Black people who are shown on TV and there's no middle. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, my life was in the middle. It was very, very regular, <laughs> you know, drama, <laughs> no craziness. 
but we don't have that luxury of seeing that on television. I, I, I think that's why I was so fascinated with trying to be a part of, you know, behind the scenes of trying to change the image that we see of black people, mm-hmm. because I think everyone needs something to relate to when they look at media. Because, you know, and, and then also when you go to other places, people rely on what they see on television to dictate what they know of a culture. So when I go abroad, the first thing they think of when you say you're, you know, they know that you're American and you're black, they're like hip hop, <laughs> you know, they're, they're rapping to me. I'm like, I'm not a rapper. <laughs> Or they're yelling, you know, Mrs. Obama, Mrs. Obama, you know, because those are the only images that they're taking in. So there's room for us to be, you know, diverse within our own culture. Yeah. You know, even in what you just shared, you know, some might say that the Cosbys were not depicted as being middle America because, you know, one parent was a doctor, one parent was a lawyer. That's not middle America. That was our experience, right? We we kind of had that experience. And so for us, that was middle America, but that's not commonplace as I'm coming to appreciate now. That's not commonplace for people to hear at the dinner table, their parent talking about negotiating for a Fortune 500 company at work. And to hear that just is part of conversation, right? I just negotiated this deal. Is there any more butter for the bread, right? That was normal for us, but that wasn't quite normal. Even to add to that, just the idea of college, you know, for us, it was just understood. You finish high school, you go to college, you go on to either become a professional or you continue to go to school. It was just like this automatic thing. You go to college. And I didn't realize that there are people out there who, you know, are the first in their family to graduate college and they're, you know, my my peer. That wasn't heard of because, you know, in our family, everybody graduated from high school and at least did some type of college or military. We went on, we advanced to something. So I feel like even in on an educational level, there is, you know, disparity. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.